Hi, I'm Eric, and this is Listen to Sleep, quiet bedtime stories and meditations to help you fall deeply asleep. A whole bunch of new wildflowers have started blooming up here on the mountain. From the end of February through the beginning of July, it feels like something new pops up almost every week. Spring is the season of nature's fresh start, and being surrounded by it reminds me that we are a part of nature too. And spring is also a new beginning for us. I'm taking more time to be aware of my surroundings, remember to breathe, and get outside as much as I can. If you want to see what it's like up here right now, I took some video on a walk with Bodhi this week and put it up on my Instagram and TikTok. You can find me at Listen to Sleep on both Instagram and TikTok. There are links that'll take you straight there in the show notes or on the website at listentosleep.com. I want to thank the folks who supported the podcast by subscribing to the Patreon this week. Thank you, Rita, Laura, Jay, Nicole, Callie, Jordan, JJ, Donalyn, Megan, Rachel, Bree, and Deborah. This week, we passed the halfway mark to my goal of a thousand patrons so that I can make Listen to Sleep my full-time endeavor. Thank you so much to all of you. If the podcast helps you sleep, you can support it for less than $3 a month. And for your support, you'll get the new episodes a day earlier without any ads or introductions. And you'll also get an immediate download of the entire audiobook of Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. It's more than four hours long, and each chapter is a wonderfully sleepy bedtime story all on its own. You can get all of this and the other longer books that I read serially on Listen to Sleep Plus on Wednesday nights when you support the podcast for $5 a month. Subscribing to Listen to Sleep Plus gives you access to all the chapters of the books I've read so far, like The Children of Odin, A Book of Norse Tales, Winnie the Pooh, Alice in Wonderland, and Peter Pan. Plus, a new chapter from the current book I'm reading every Wednesday night. We're just getting started with The Wonderful Wizard of Oz. For more information about all of this, you can go to listentosleep.com or you can click the link in the show notes. This week's story is a Welsh fairy tale about a mighty king in fairyland and his bride. Let's take a deep breath in and out. Letting go of the day, feeling the weight of gravity pulling you deep down into the mattress. 
Another deep breath in. And out. Nothing to do. Nowhere to go. No one to be. This is your time. Quiet time. Another deep breath in with me. And out. If you get tired while I'm reading to you, that's okay. Just let yourself drift off. King Powell and Rhiannon. One of the oldest of the Welsh fairy tales tells us about Powell, king of fairyland, and father of the numerous clan of the Powells. He was a mighty hunter. He could ride a horse draw a bow, and speak the truth. He was always honored by men, and he kept his faith and his promises to women. The children loved him, for he loved them. In the castle hall, he could tell the best stories. No man, bard or warrior, Footholder or commoner could excel him in gaining and keeping the attention of his hearers, even when they were sleepy and wanted to go to bed. One day, when out hunting in the woods, he noticed a pack of hounds running down a stag. He saw at once that they were not his own, for they were snow-white in color and had red ears. Being a young man at the time, Powell did not know that red is the fairy color and that these were all dogs from fairyland. So, he drove off the red-eared hounds and was about to let loose his own pack on the stag when a horseman appeared on the scene. The stranger at once began to upbraid Powell for being impolite. He asked why his hounds should not be allowed to hunt the deer. Powell spoke pleasantly in reply, making his proper excuses to the horsemen. The two came to like each other and soon got acquainted and mutually enjoyed being companions. It turned out that the stranger 
was Iran, a king in fairyland. He had a rival named Hargan, who was beating him and his army in war. So Iran asked Powell to help him against his enemy. He even made request that one year from that time, Powell should meet Hargan in battle. He told him that one stroke of his sword would finish the enemy. He must then sheathe his weapon and not, on any account, strike a second time. To make victory sure, the fairy king would exchange shapes with the mortal ruler and each take not only the place, but the shape and form of the other. Powell must go into fairyland and govern the kingdom there, while Aran should take charge of affairs at Dyfed. But Powell was warned again to smite down his enemy with a single stroke of his sword. If, in the heat of conflict and the joy of victory, Powell should forget and give a second blow to Hargan, he would immediately come to life and be as strong as ever. Powell heeded well these words. Then, putting on the shape of Iran, he went into fairyland and no one noticed or thought anything different from the days and years gone by. But now, at night, a new and unexpected difficulty arose. Aron's beautiful wife was evidently not in on the secret, for she greeted Powell as her own husband. After dinner, when telling of stories in the banqueting hall was over, the time had come for them to retire. But the new bedfellow did not even kiss her or say good night, but turned his back to her and his face to the wall and never moved until daylight. Then the new king in fairyland rose up, ate his breakfast, and went out to hunt. Every day he ruled the castle and kingdom as if he had always been the monarch. To everybody he seemed as if he had been long used to public business, and no questions were asked, nor was there any talk made on the subject. Everyone took things as a matter of course. Yet, however polite or gracious he might be to the queen during the day, in the evening he spoke not a word and passed every night as the first. The twelve months soon sped along, and now the time for the battle in single combat between Powell and Hargan had fully come the two warriors met in the middle of a river ford and backed their horses 
for a charge. Then they rushed furiously at the other. Powell's spear struck Hargan so hard that he was knocked out of the saddle and hurled the length of a lance over and beyond the crupper or tail strap of his horse. He fell mortally wounded upon the ground. Now came the moment of danger and temptation to Powell, for Hargan cried out, For the love of heaven, finish your work on me, slay me with your sword. But Powell was wise, and his head was cool. He kept in mind the warning to strike only one blow. He called out loudly so that all could hear him. I will not repeat that. Slay thee who may, I shall not. So Hargan, knowing his end had come, bade his nobles bear him away from the river shore. Then Powell, with his armies, overran the two kingdoms of fairyland and made himself master of all. He took oath of all the princes and nobles who swore to be loyal to their new master. This done, Powell rode away to the trysting place in a glen, and there he met Aron, as had been appointed. They changed shapes, and each became himself as he had been before. Aron thanked Powell heartily and bade him see what he had done for him. Then each one rode back in his former likeness to his kingdom. Now at Anwen, no one but Aron himself knew that anything unusual had taken place. After dinner and the evening storytelling were over, and it was time to go to bed, Aron's wife was surprised in double measure. Two things puzzled her. Her husband was now very tender to her, and also very talkative. Whereas, for a whole year, every night, he had been as silent and immovable as a log. How could it be in either case? But this time, the wife was silent as a statue. Even though Aron spoke to her three times, he received no reply. Then he asked directly of her, why was she so silent? She made an answer that, for a whole year, no word had been spoken in their bedroom. What, said he, did we not talk together as always before? No, said she, 
Not for a year has there been talk or caress between us. At this answer, Aran was overcome with surprise, and as struck with admiration at having so good a friend. He burst out in praise of Powell, and then told his wife all that had happened during the past twelve months. She, too, was full of admiration, and told her husband that in Powell he had certainly found a true friend. In Dyfed, when Powell had returned to his own land and castle, he called his lords together. Then he asked them to be perfectly frank and free to speak. They must tell him whether they thought him a good king during the year past. All shouted in chorus of approval. Then their spokesman addressed Powell thus. My lord, never was thy wisdom so great, thy generosity more free, nor thy justice more manifest than during the past year. When he ceased, all the vassals showed their approval of this speech. Then Powell, smiling, told the story of his adventures in exchanging his form and tasks, at the end of which the spokesman, taking his cue from the happy faces of all his fellow vassals, made reply, Of a truth, Lord, we pray thee, do thou give thanks to heaven that thou hast formed such a fellowship. Please continue to us the form of the kingdom and rule that we have enjoyed for a year past. Thereupon, King Powell took oath, kissing the hilt of his sword, and called on heaven to witness his promise that he would do as they had desired. So the two kings confirmed the friendship they had made. Each sent the other rich gifts of jewels, horses, and hounds. In memory of so wonderful and happy union, of a mortal and a fairy, Powell was thereafter, in addition to all his titles, saluted as Lord of Anwin, which is only another name for the land of the fairies. Not far from the castle where King Powell had his court, there was a hillock called the Mount of Macbeth. It was the common belief that some strange adventure would befall anyone who should sit upon that mound. He would receive blows or wounds, or else he would see something wonderful. Thus it came to pass that none but peaceful bards had ever sat upon the mound. Never a warrior or a common man had risked sitting there. 
the general fear felt and the awe inspired by the place was too great. But after his adventure of being king of Fairyland for a whole year, everything else to Powell seemed dull and commonplace. So, to test his own courage and worthiness of kingship, Powell assembled all his lords at Narberth. After the night's feasting, revelry, and storytelling, Powell declared that next day he would sit upon the enchanted mound. So, when the sun was fully risen, Powell took his seat upon the mound, expecting that all of a sudden something unusual would happen. For some minutes, nothing, whether event or vision, took place. Then he lifted up his eyes and saw approaching him a white horse, on which rode a lady. She was dressed in shining garments, as if made of gold. Evidently, she was a princess, yet she came not very near. Does anyone among you know who this lady is? asked Powell of his chieftains. Not one of us, was the answer. Thereupon, Powell ordered his vassals to ride forward. They were to greet her courteously and inquire who she was. But now, the predicted wonder took place. She moved away from them, yet at a quiet pace that suited her. Though the knights spurred their horses and rode fast and furiously, they could not come any nearer to her. They galloped back and reported their failure to reach the lady. Then Powell picked out others and sent them riding after the lady. But each time, one and all returned, chagrined with failure. So, the day closed with silence in the castle hall. There was no merrymaking or storytelling that night. The next day, Powell sat again on the mound, and once more, the golden lady came near. This time, Powell himself left his seat on the mound, leaped on his fleetest horse, and pursued the maiden, robed in gold, on the white horse. But she flitted away, as she had done before from the knights. Again and again, though he could get nearer and nearer to her, he failed. Then the baffled king cried out in despair, 
O maiden fair, for the sake of him whom thou lovest, stay for me. Evidently the lady, who lived in the time of castles and courts, did not care to be wooed in the style of the caveman. Such manners did not suit her. But with a change of method, her heart began to melt. Besides, she was a kind woman. She took pity on horses as well as on men. Sweet was her voice as she answered most graciously. I will stay gladly, and it were better for thy horses hadst thou asked me properly long ago. To his questions and to how and why she came to him, she told her story as follows. I am Rhiannon, descended from the august and venerable one of old. My aunts and uncles tried to make me marry against my will a chieftain named Gwal, an auburn-haired youth, son of Clude, but because of my love to thee would I have no husband, and if you reject me, I will never marry any man. As heaven is my witness, were I to choose among all the damsels and ladies of the world, thee would I choose, cried Powell. After that, it was agreed that when a year had passed, Powell should go to the palace of the august and venerable one of old and claim her for his bride. So, when twelve months had passed, Powell, with his retinue of a hundred knights, all splendidly horsed and finely apparelled, presented himself before the castle. There he found his fair lady, and a feast already prepared at which he sat with her. On the other side of the table were her father and mother. In the midst of this joyous occasion, when all was gaiety and they talked together, in strode a youth clad in sheeny satin. He was of noble bearing and had auburn hair. He saluted Powell and his knights courteously. At once Powell, the lord of Narberth, invited the stranger to come and sit down as a guest beside him. Not so, replied the youth. I am a suitor, and have come to crave a boon of thee. Without guile or suspicion, Powell replied innocently, Ask what you will, if in my power it shall be yours. But Rhiannon chided Powell. She asked, Oh, why did you 
give him such an answer. But he did give it, cried the auburn-haired youth. Then, turning to the whole company of nobles, he appealed to them. Did not he pledge his word before you all to give me what I asked? Then, turning to Powell, he said, The boon I ask is this, to have thy bride, Rhiannon. Further, I want this feast and banquet to celebrate in this place our wedding. At this demand, Powell seemed to have been struck dumb. He did not speak, but Rhiannon did. Be silent as long as thou wilt, she cried. But surely no man ever made worse use of his wits than thou hast done. For this man, to whom thou gavest thy oath of promise, is none other than Gwal, the son of Clude. He is the suitor from whom I fled to come to you while you sat on the Narbeth Mound. Now, out of such trouble, how should the maiden, promised to two men, be delivered? Her wit saved her. Powell was bound to keep his word. But Rhiannon explained to Gwal that it was not his castle or hall, so he could not give the banquet. But in a year from that date, if Gwal would come for her, she would be his bride. Then a new bridal feast would be set for the wedding. In the meantime, Rhiannon planned with Powell to get out of the trouble. For this purpose, she gave him a magical bag, which he was to use when the right time should come. Quickly the twelve months passed, and Gual appeared again to claim his bride, and a great feast was spread in his honor. All were having a good time, when in the midst of their merriment, a beggar appeared in the hall. He was in rags, and carried the usual beggar's wallet for food or alms. He asked only that, out of the abundance on the table, his bag might be filled. Gual agreed and ordered his servants to attend to the matter. But the bag never got full. What they put into it, or how much, made no difference. Dish after dish was emptied. By degrees, most of the food on the table was in the beggar's bag. My soul alive, will that bag never get full? asked Gual. 
No, by heaven, not unless some rich man shall get into it, stamp it down with his feet, and call out, Enough. Then Rhiannon, who sat beside Gwal, urged him to attempt the task by putting his two feet in the bag to stamp it down. No sooner had Gwal done this than the supposed beggar pushed him down inside the bag. Then, drawing the mouth shut, he tied it tight over Gwal's head. Then the beggar's rags dropped, and there stood forth the handsome leader, Powell. He blew his horn, and in rushed his knights, who overcame and bound the followers of Gwal. Then they proceeded to play a merry game of football, using the bag in which Gwal was tied, as men in our day kick a pigskin. They did not let the prisoner out of the bag until he had promised to pay the pipers, the harpers, and the singers who should come to the wedding of Powell and Rhiannon. He must give up all his claims and register a vow never to take revenge. This oath given and promises made, the bag was opened and the agreements solemnly confirmed in the presence of all. Then Gwal and every one of his men, knights, and servants were let go, and they went back to their own country. A few evenings later, in the large banqueting hall, Powell and Rhiannon were married. Besides the great feast, presents were given to all in attendance, high and low. Then the happy pair made their wedding journey to Gwal's palace at Narberth. There the lovely bride gave a ring or a gem to every lord and lady in her new realm, and everyone was happy. Good night.